You're listening to Conspiracy, Fears, and Mystery. Due to the graphic nature of this content, listener discretion is advised. fears and mysteries and today I did forget my coffee so please excuse excuse me but it's another another true crime episode uh, today's gonna be a true crime episode uh, I know I have so I have some stuff with some cryptids and some conspiracies and other stuff and aliens that I'm gonna talk about but today's gonna be another true crime because I have them in order since all week I've been kind of even when I'm at work I like I'll I'll occasionally look at my phone and I listen to podcasts at work while I'm working I'm allowed to listen to stuff at work so I'll have my headphones on and sometimes I'll catch they may say a name they may say a case that I want to research a little more or that I just want to do you know um you may not have heard it on the podcast I listen to but you hear it on mine or whatever the case may be it's always good to put these stories out especially unsolved ones the unsolved ones are very important the solved ones are solved you know they happen unfortunately when it comes to true crime but anything unsolved the more you put it out the more it stays fresh in people's heads and the more uh of a possibility that you got that you have of maybe helping out with something that's the reason why i think these people do it's not just because Maybe one or two of them are sick in the head and they just want to see, you know, things like this. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying. But I think the reason that people like me and other, you know, uh, true crime queen who I was, um, I, uh, I think I, I was messaging her while I was in the, uh, I was in the restaurant. Uh, we were talking about the podcast and, and her show cause I was binge listening to it at work, uh, people like her and all the other podcasters that I listen to uh I think they have a deeper reason for doing it maybe they they don't know it you know they they may not even say it off the off the bat like that or you know what I mean but I think they really you know I know I do I'm I'm sure she does and everybody else they just want to see somebody solved not some all of them all of them. That's why you talk about all of them. It's not for content because we won't make any money off of this. This isn't, we're not living off of this. Okay. Not making money. A lot of them are, yeah, you got the, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kylie Ray or whatever the, her name is uh, on YouTube. But that's something different. She's already, you know, she's gotten bigger and, you know, you, I mean, you might as well, you know, and just keep it going. Because what they do is important when they put out these cases as far as true crimes and everything. And heck, even the shit, even the uh, even the aliens. And, if we discover something there, man, uh, you know what I'm saying? Woo, that'd be that'd be some crazy. That'd be some crazy shit, right? It's crazy shit. But I'm sitting over here, and whenever I do a true crime case. Or something, even even if it's been solved, even like a case like the one that I'm going to do, that we're going to talk about today, the Velasca Axe murders in Iowa. For some reason, I get this, I, I'm real jumpy. 
And ever since I started doing this, I mean, I've always been into true crime since I was a kid. I was the kid. Everybody else is watching some kid stuff. I'm watching Unsolved Mysteries. Um, I, I, well, not since I was a kid, I have a gun, but I have a gun as an adult. And I got my gun right here next to me, man. I got it on the table because I like myself in the studio. Not taking no chance. I hear, I hear a sound. There's nobody in the house right now. I hear a sound that's not right, you know? Hey, <laughs> we're going to rock and roll, baby. <laughs> if you don't belong in here and you try to do some harm, I'll know if it's my wife or kids, okay? I'm not. I'm very trained with weapons. I was in law enforcement. I was in the military for years and years. So relax, okay? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do anything crazy. I don't do drugs and I don't even drink like that. So there's that. Anyway, speaking of... Uh, if any other, if anybody out there that's into true crime, watches true crime a lot, that, that listens to these type of podcasts or YouTube videos or reads these stories, or even if you participate in doing them and, you know, not the true crime, but doing the podcast or the videos or anything like that, am I the only one that maybe I'm a little more cautious just because of the things you've heard, you know, you've read these stories like, oh, she left her back door open. You know, and that's how whatever, whatever got in. Or, oh, they parked in the wrong, you know, dark place, whatever, you know. I've always been a cautious person, regardless. Sometimes sometimes a little bit more cautious. You know, my wife tells me when I get out, why you got that face? Why are you looking at me? Why, why are you scanning? You know, I've, I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, I can still have fun, but I scan the area. I look at people. If I see you, if I see that you're behind me for way too long, that's too much of a coincidence. I, you know, I don't turn like five corners and and you're still there. Shoot, man, we gonna rock and roll. I'm telling you, man, I'm gonna, you know, I, I don't, I don't do the whole oh, let's chill in this secluded place thing. I don't do that. If I'm gonna get got, like we say, then I'm gonna give you options. There's gonna be a lot of people around me. <laughs> you're gonna have options. They're gonna, we're gonna be like, oh man, there's a lot of people. I don't think I wanna, you know what I mean. And if you are going to do something, you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't put, no, 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 no. Lock all the doors. But anyway, that's enough rambling, man. You don't want to hear me talk crap. You already did. So let's get on with this story. So, today we're going to talk about Velisca, the Velisca, I hope I'm saying that right. Velisca Axe Murders. And this um, Velisica, the Velisica, my God, Velisica asked murder, and this took play, place in Velisica, Iowa, I think it's Velisica County, Iowa, when Iowa, if you're not familiar with, is one of those states you really don't hear things from, and when you do, it's something like this, unfortunately, if you're, um, shout out to the people from Iowa, much respect, but, I just don't hear a lot from Iowa, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah. I don't hear anything from you. <laughs> like, I don't really hear anything like, you know what I mean? Whatever. Indiana, you know? Uh, but anyway, from Illinois, obviously, yeah, you got Chicago there. But So Iowa is... Right in between, is nestled between Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, and Kansas. It's 
it's surrounded by these states. I was right in the middle of it. And this particular case took place. This particular case took place. Uh, this would be like in the southwest of um, Iowa. And uh, it, it's it's a cold case. It's a cold case, believe it or not. This took place in 1912. The Willisca, Iowa. Mur- axe murders. Or, it was horrible. And it was multiple murders. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to called, well, a YouTube channel I listen to called Bedtime Stories, where it was called The Man on the Train. And the reason they named it that is because there was a suspicious man that was on a train um, that people noticed that wasn't from around there when these things happened and he was just traveling and whatever they called it that. But let's read about this in case you know about it. So sometime around midnight between Sunday, June 9th and Monday, June 10th, 1912, a person or persons entered a modest house in Villisca, Iowa and bludgeoned to death eight people sleeping there including two adults and six children aged 5 through 12. The killings became known as the Velisca Axe Murders and are easily the most notorious murders in Iowa history. The murders spawned nearly 10 years of investigations, repeated grand jury hearings, a spectacular slander suit and a murder trial, and numerous minor litigations and trials. The horrific crime made and broke political careers. Legislation was written in response to the murder, including the establishment of the current State Bureau of Criminal Investigation's predecessor. On Sunday evening, June 9, 1912, Joe Moore and his wife Sarah took their four children, Herman, who was 11, Catherine, 10, Boyd, 7, and 5-year-old Paul, to the Children's Day Service at the Presbyterian Church. Accompanying them were Lena, 12, and Ina Stillinger, 8, neighbors who had asked their parents' permission to stay overnight with the more children. The Children's Day service was an end-of-year Sunday school program. Sarah Moore was a co-director, and her children performed their little speeches and recitations, recit- yeah, recitations along with the other Sunday school members. The service ended with a social mingling that lasted until at least 9.30 p.m. When parishioners left on that cloudy, damp, and cool night, no one suspected that neither the moor nor their overnight guests would be seen alive again. That is horrible. They, these kids stayed over, and the uh, the parents of those kids were thinking, hey, it's great, you know. It's great. They're just staying over the neighbor's house. They're good people. I'm sure they were great people. They walked to the they walked the three blocks to their home. Cookies and milk ended the festive evening and all went to bed. Sometime after midnight, the killer or killers picked up Joe's axe from the backyard, entered the house, and bludgeoned to death all eight of its occupants. By 7.30 a.m. on June 10th, Mary Peckham, an elderly neighbor to the west, became concerned that the Moore house seemed quiet and deserted. She called Joe's brother Ross, a local druggist, who arrived at about 8 a.m. to look around. His cautious inspection of the downstairs revealed two figures covered with a sheet in the the back bedroom, and he also saw blood on the bedstead. Ross stepped back and away from the crime scene and called Joe's hardware store, telling employee Ed Selly to fetch Marshal Henry Hank Horton because something terrible had happened. Hank arrived at about 8.30 a.m., went through the house and found, as he told Ross when he came out, 
somebody murdered in every bed. The partially clean murder weapon was left leaning against the south wall of the downstairs bedroom where the visiting Stillinger girls were found. The killer had added two bizarre touches to the murder scene. The first was a four-pound piece of slab bacon leaning against the wall next to the axe. The murderer also had searched dresser drawers for pieces of clothing to cover the mirrors in the house and the glass in the entry doors. On the kitchen table was a plate of uneaten food and a bowl of bloody water. The funeral... Uh, I'm sorry. All the victims were found in the beds, their heads covered with bedclothes, and all their skulls battered 20 to 30 times with the blunt end of an axe. The ceiling in the parents' bedroom and the children's room upstairs showed gouge marks apparently made by the upswing of the axe. That's... that. Do you know? 20 to 30 times. Each person. 20 to 30 times. I mean, if it, if it was 20 to 30 times each person... Somebody would have woken up, but I'm sure he went to the father first. When these things happen, you think about the biggest threat in there would be the person who you assume could can possibly take you down. And that'd be probably the man of the house, right? Um, you assume the man of the house is going to take me down first. I'm not saying that's always the case, but, you know, but the man of the house is going to take you down. So you hit him first. So you hit him 20. 20, 30 times somebody's gonna wake up. Now you hit you 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 take him out. Now you got the woman of the house, you know, who probably who may have woken up and seen this and just freaked out. I mean, freaked out. You know, to the point where she can't even move. I'm sure maybe it'll happen vice versa. If he woke up and saw the wife getting hacked 20, 30, or has made whatever, even once he would freak out. And it happens. Humans, you know, with humans, you're not used to seeing that, especially, you know, happening to you. I hope nobody ever sees that. Um, though Lena Stillinger's nightgown had been pushed up and she'd been left exposed, doctors concluded that she had not been sexually abused. Lena also had a bloodstain on her knee and an alleged defensive wound on her arm. Wow. She had to, wow. She, had, she tried to fight. Well, she, you know, she probably tried to, Stat, you know, probably try to stop the thing. You know, when somebody, someone's swinging something at you, you're going to cover your face or whatever the case may be. The more Stillinger funeral service were held in Villisca's Town Square on June 12, 1912, with thousands of attendants. National Guardsmen blocked the streets as a, as a hearse moved toward the firehouse where the eight victims lay. Their caskets, not on display during the funeral, were later carried on several wagons to the Villisca Cemetery for burial. The funeral cordage, the funeral cordage was 50 carriages long. Wow. So there's a Reverend George Kelly. I don't know what they're going to say about him, but let's see. At 5.19 a.m. the morning following the murders, the Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly left Villisca on board the westbound number five train and allegedly told fellow travelers there were eight dead souls back in Villisca, Iowa, butchered in their beds while they slept. He said, even though the bodies had not yet been discovered. Oh, my Lord. Wow. So, check. So, he got... This is the man on the train that they were talking about. Wow. The Reverend. Okay. Kelly had arrived in Villisca for the first time the Sunday morning of the murders and attended a Sunday school performance by the Stillinger girls. 
before departing early Monday. He returned two weeks later and, posing as a detective, joined the tour of the murder house with a group of investigators. Authorities first became interested in Reverend Kelly a few weeks after the murder after being alerted by recipients of his rambling letters. Kelly, the son of grandson, the son and grandson of English ministers, had suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. Since immigrating to America with his wife in 1904, Kelly had preached at Methodist churches across North Dakota, Minnesota, Kansas, and Iowa. He'd been assigned as a visiting minister to several small communities north of Villisca, where he developed a reputation for odd behavior. He'd also been convicted of sending obscene material through the mail and had spent time in a mental hospital. A grand jury indicted Kelly for Lena Stillinger's murder and was interrogated throughout the summer of 1917 while in jail awaiting trial. On August 31st, at 7 a.m., Kelly signed a confession to the murder, saying God had whispered to him to suffer the children to come on to me. Kelly recanted his confession at trial, and his case went to the jury. On September 26th, the jury deadlocked 11-1 to 1 for acquittal. A second jury was immediately impaneled, but acquitted Reverend Kelly in November. No one else has ever been tried for the murders, and the crime remains one of the most horrific unsolved murders in American history. Whoa. So they acquitted this guy. I mean, man, the legal system is crazy because it's like a double-edged sword. Sometimes you're good. Sometimes it's bad. Like, you gotta, you know, in cases like this where, I mean, you guys, look, this guy was talking about these murders. This reverend, Reverend Kelly, was talking about these murders. A few weeks, uh, I'm sorry, he was talking about these murders while he was, when he boarded the train the day after the murder, um, before the bodies were discovered. I mean, that is way too much of a coincidence. Nobody knew about this. Nobody knew, but he was talking about eight dead souls. There was eight dead bodies in that house. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? But we can't just go off of, hey, you said this, you know what I mean? We can't go off of coincidence, unfortunately, you know, not unfortunately, you know, it's, man, like I said, double-edged sword. Um, It's really crazy. This is, a, this is really crazy, really crazy. I hadn't heard about this. I heard it on uh, bedtime stories, and I said, well, let me go ahead and read about this. Because I was working, I really didn't get to pay too much attention to that particular episode because I was doing something at work, and I, I was, my mind was going back and forth. But that was crazy. This man, that the, the fact that this happened is insane. But the fact that this man said that, and then was you know he said that in the way, and he said, "Oh, God told him to take these souls." He's had mental health issues. There was, you know, it's just crazy. The fact we go, oh, man, it just that's insane. That's insane. Um, so. It's still a mystery in Villisca County. This is still, I guess, unsolved. To me, you know, all, you know, this is the only thing I have. So maybe we do more digging. If there's something that you know, maybe if you're from the area, you probably hear about it more. You know, uh, you know a little more. Let me know. Leave a message on the podcast or you can inbox me at c.f.mysteries on Instagram.
and we can look more into it. If you leave a message, of course you can be. I'll put your message on the podcast. But let's see. Let's, let me see this last paragraph here. What it says? It says, uh, "Well, we can see uh, a documentary film here." It says on June 10, 2004. Fourth Wall Films released the documentary feature film Velisca, Living with a Mystery, which first premiered on Des Moines. Filmmakers Kelly and Temi Rundle combined period photographs, computer animation, original art, limited reenactments, and interviews with historians, eyewitnesses, town residents, and forensic experts to shed light on this 92-year-old mystery and to reveal the face of a new suspect. The documentary, now available on DVD, features Dr. Edgar Epperly, the historian considered the foremost authority on the Velisca murders. Ten years in the making, the documentary explores the possibility that the Velisca crime and similar murders in Monmouth, Illinois, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Ellsworth, Kansas, and Kansas, uh, may have been the work of one of America's first serial killers. Court TV reported Catherine Cryer interviewed Kelly Rundle and Dr. Eberly for a program that aired November 21st, 2006. The interview is... It says here shown below, but I, I, this is a PDF that I have. That I, <laughs> I save my little investigation or whatever I find, any articles or whatever. I save them in PDF. So I don't have the video there. But this is a very, this is gruesome. This is bad, man. And I'm still stuck on the fact that this guy said that on the train. I mean, you got to take things. To, you, that's why you got to be careful what you say, you know. I'm one of those people, I joke around, I got this crazy sense of humor, you know what I mean, I curse a lot, I'm a, you know, I'm a freaking veteran, you know what I mean, I, I, I curse a lot, and all that, but I'm also an adult, and I know, I know there's just certain things, and I know who to joke around with, who to say, he wasn't joking, but, you know, I know when to say certain jokes and when not to, you know what I mean, um, there's people out there that don't know. Again, this was not a joke, what he said. He said, you know, hey, there's eight souls or whatever in the house, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about God told him to do this, that, and the third. And that's a very big concern. I don't know if people understand that, but it is a big concern. But anyway, that's all we got today, man. The Velisca Axe Murders, man. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can follow me on Instagram. I made an Instagram for this podcast. It's c.f.m. I'm sorry, c.f. <laughs> c. Period F. Period Mysteries. N Y S T E R I E S. C. F. Mysteries. And you can go follow that. I post random pictures of. Things, whether it be true crime, cryptids, conspiracies, whatever. And I also, you'll also see what the next episode is going to be about. So there is a picture of the Velisca house on there stating that I'm going to do this podcast, this episode next. And as always, I'm going to smoke me a cigar now. Yes, I got the burner on me. I will see you. On the next smoke.